So would I be remiss, Mike, to not ask about it and what you thought about it? <laughs> um, I, I actually enjoyed it, to be honest with you. But I, I went with my girlfriend, and she was not a fan of it at all. Oh yeah, and it, yeah, and she she likes horror movies, and you know we grew up with the original one. But she, uh, as we're walking out, she just goes lame. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. See, that's and I, thing, I didn't I think guess. it was lame. There was there was definitely some cool stuff in it, um, but I think they they kind of changed the tone more towards like a a Goonies type of thing or or like the um, Stranger Things type of tone. Yeah, I haven't seen it myself, but I've seen a couple of clips where he turns into a monster or does his thing. And it mm-hmm. very much feels like Stranger Things, which I haven't seen myself. I've only seen clips. Oh, really? Yeah. I oh, still shit. haven't watched that. <laughs> I can't believe that. Stranger Things is fucking awesome. I'll be starting it soon. Might as well. The second season's about to start. But there was a lot of humor in it. And and I think that's what kind of really threw off the scariness. Because you'd have something like really intense and, and creepy happen. And then within like a few minutes, someone cracks a joke. So it just kind of like with the original one, there was very little humor. And I know the original one is like a shitty movie overall. But when you're watching it as a kid, just if if you have the levity to break up the scares, then it, it kind of makes it like, oh, it's it's not so scary. They're they're cracking jokes, you know. But in the old one, it was like the kids were just terrified the whole time. Yeah, that's part, like his whole purpose was to make them terrified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was hoping they wouldn't do that too much. I know they do that a lot, especially with horror movies now. They always got to throw the humor in there. I just leave that to Edgar Wright, you know, leave that to the Shaun of the Dead people. I, I think this is one of the I, movies. There's, where... there's definitely some good horror comedy movies that oh, are yeah, out Tucker there. Dale, Sha- do, do a yeah, Tucker and Dale is fucking fantastic. Yeah, but just leave that goofy shit to uh, Army of Darkness and Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi. If you're going to remake it, I, I fucking, I wouldn't want one fucking joke in that movie. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I, not like he was ever a part of it, but could you imagine like if someone like Guillermo del Toro were to do it? Yeah, that would be great. He would leave all the weird cosmic turtle shit in there too, probably. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. It would be three parts instead of two. No, I don't want a goddamn trilogy. That to it, it's it's because there's just a there's a clear divide because you've got the kid side of it and then you've got the adult side of it. So if you were to make it like a three part series, I think it would become a little disjointed. Yeah, more room for shitty jokes, I guess, or just like weirdness. I don't know. I think two is the way to do it, but I'll I'll definitely see the sequel though. I I really did enjoy it. Yeah, I just recently watched a clip where uh, spoiler alert. Where well, I'll just say where George, Georgie gets it. Yeah. And after watching that, I was like, man, because like as soon as it came out, they started adding, you know, brilliantly hilarious and all the reviews. I was like, oh man, you can't have that scene and then have jokes in the movie. 
Yeah, well, th- th- luckily that scene wasn't followed by jokes, and they and it did uh, <laughs> a lot to uh, like show how fucked up Derry is. That like people see what's going on, but nobody does anything about it. Oh, that's cool. All right, enough of that. We'll we'll do a nerd alert maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Halloween's coming up, so maybe we could do a special horror movie nerd alert. I just had to ask you, being like an actual horror movie review writer. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do a review for it though, but uh, I I usually do my reviews on the uh, more the indie side of things. I've always loved that book and that movie, even the early '90s movie with Tim Curry and everybody. It just, like you said, it's a shitty movie overall. And as I watch it as an adult, as a kid, it was terrifying. But just when the, like, 90s. Yeah, but even as a kid, the second half of the movie, we never wanted to watch that. We always watched the first half. Yeah. But when that second half can go fuck itself, it kills me. Just the keyboard 90s sitcom clown music. Yeah. I've always waited, I've always wished that. They would redo it, but I don't know. Just even the way Pennywise looks in the new one just doesn't doesn't flow with yeah. me at all. And, and that's another thing too, because Pennywise isn't as big of a character in this one. Like, I mean, he's he's in the movie, but like Tim Curry or Tim Curry stole the whole fucking thing. Oh yeah, like, the the first movie was Tim Curry, and it didn't matter who else was in it. He stole the show and he brought a lot of life to the character. And I don't feel like the character of Pennywise is really as uh, big of a character, you know, or as, as see, it's hard to say not as big or not as important of a character, but he just doesn't seem like, like he just seems like more of, of a monster than a character. Lack the presence that Tim Curry brought to it. Yeah. And I mean, he had, he definitely had creepy parts, but I think a lot of that had to do with, um, the filming and the material more so than the actual acting. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas with Tim Curry, it was, he made that character of Pennywise. And even when he showed up in different, like when he showed up as the mummy with the, with the part clown stuff on there, and you you still knew it was him and it was terrifying and yeah and then he would show up and say something to the kids that was horrifying like the the remember you'll die if you try like god damn that shit's creepy yeah and he always said try to stop us and that the part where where um he's they're looking through the photo album and he runs up and he's telling him that he's everything that they've ever been afraid of. And then, Oh my God, dude, like there's nothing like that in, in this, in the new one. That sucks. See, that's what was great. And that's like seeing the new it and him just like in the sewer and all wet with his hair down. That bummed me out. One of the scariest things about Tim Curry's it Pennywise was how he lived in the sewer, but he was always dry and always clean. It like represented like a, a, that was a definite symbol of otherworldliness to me. Like, if and I, even when they showed him in the Barrens, he was standing on top of the water. Yeah, just super clean, not dirty. I was like, he didn't belong here. It's just another creepy element to me that I, I, I wish they would have brought to this one. They made him look a little bit too old, eighteenth, early nineteenth century looking. I liked the modern clown look of Curry's character. Yeah, and I feel like that was more in line with. 
what the book had in mind, even though the book said he was wearing a silver costume with orange buttons. Yeah. But they they said that he was more like Bozo and Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Than like weird. Because, I mean, you look at that clown in the new one, and that's who, who in their right mind would be even wanting to associate with that. It looks terrifying. Yeah. And you know, whole, it, it doesn't have to say anything. And that was the whole appeal with the clown was that it could get close and then totally freak the kids out. Yeah. It was like the perversion of, of the innocence of youth. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch it, but I'll, I'll rewatch the old one first. Yeah. I definitely, I got I haven't watched the, or rewatched the old one in like <laughs> shit, like probably 15 years or so. Really? We should watch it and record it. We should watch it on the podcast. It's fucking three hours long. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Everybody write in. Should we do that? It's okay. We won't. Don't worry. I can already read the nose. Yeah, they'll be like, nope, we have no interest in listening to you assholes do commentary about a shitty made-for-TV movie. And that's cool. We don't blame you. All right, well, let's get to what we're actually going to talk about this week. Child-killing demons from (laughs) outer space. No reptilians this week. We're going to talk about ghost towns. Wow. What a far cry from what we've been talking about. I know. You just brought down the whole show, Mike. I know, I know. I'm so, we're we're still gonna have fun, guys. There's there's no cosmic child eating things in this episode. Maybe, but there is there is child eating lawns for real. <laughs> really? So, yeah. All right, let's do this. So the idea of ghost towns are like typically when people think of a ghost town, they think of like old west. You know, just just like some old city that just kind of got left behind that looks easy to leave behind because it's a block long (laughs) yeah yeah you just picture like the old saloon a few a few side buildings maybe a stable and a tumbleweed (laughs) and that's that's a ghost town but they're not all like that although i do have one that is basically that (laughs) but does a ghost town have to have ghosts for it to be a ghost town to you no it doesn't and that kind of annoys me because I want there to be ghosts if it's a ghost town. If it's a ghost town, it better be inhabited only by ghosts. And you go there and you just, it's like things going on like they were when the town was abandoned, but everybody's a ghost now. Yeah, it better be bustling with activity. Yeah. Like the ghosts are going to the bar, the ghosts are fucking working in the blacksmithery, shooting guns off and shit. Yeah wacky fucking piano music that's what i want but no usually it's just a bunch of abandoned buildings that just kind of hang out no fun there yeah i wish all ghost towns were infested with ghosts but i kind of have a soft spot for abandoned places as well that has like a yeah especially ones that have like a a interesting history behind it like a, a, a city that was abandoned for a purpose rather than just like, and then people just moved away. <laughs> yeah. Bad streak of the clap ran through here. Unfortunately, a lot of time it does just have to do with either the, the local jobs closing up or, or their, you know, the companies closing up shop and then everyone's kind of just left and then they've got nowhere to go. So they got to go where the work is and there it is. 
So what's some of the creepy ghost towns you came across, Mike? I got a couple. Uh, um, I guess first I'll talk about the, the cliche ghost town. This one is in Bodie, California. It was a former mining town. There was gold discovered there in 1959. And it was kind of a, a lesser known mining camp to begin with. So it was originally founded by this prospector named W.S. Bodie. And his last name was spelled B-O-D-E-Y. The city's name is B-O-D-I-E, but it's it's Bodie. And this Bodie character died in a blizzard the following November after founding this this uh, mining camp. Damn. Check out my city. <laughs> yeah, he never... this. The city wasn't even named. It, it wasn't a city yet. It was just the mining camp, and it later became named after him. Um, it was changed from his last name, B-O-D-E-Y, to Bodhi, spelled like body, and then it finally became the, the city of Bodhi, B-O-D-I-E, after a local painter l- labeled a sign that said the Bodhi Stables. And he spelled it B-O-D-I-E. So they're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just leave it like that. The stable <laughs> sign. <laughs> we can't stable change has it. Sign up. Yeah. So that became the spelling. And uh, in 1876, the Standard Company discovered that there was a decent-sized deposit of gold ore. They started bringing in more people. And it went from being a lesser-known mining camp that housed a few prospectors to basically a wild west boomtown and people started coming in mining workers started coming in mining companies started building buildings and by 1879 there was a population in the thousands it was probably around 6000 people that were living there and at its height there were 2000 buildings there whoa so the buildings <laughs> were almost half of what the people so figure like two people for most buildings but as it was growing in the late 1800s by 1880 there was the i guess it, not exactly the slogan but there was the saying that Bodie was California's third largest city but according to the census that was not it's just one of those one of those wives tales town slogan yeah yeah but over the years the mines were thought to have produced 30 something million dollars damn yeah but the you know with with all resources their their resources are finite and as the gold started to dwindle down the companies started closing down people started moving out and by 1913 the standard consolidated mine closed and profits in 1914 were said to be as low as $6,820. Wow. So you you go from millions to $6,000. Yeah. It's not enough to keep that city alive at all. Yeah. It's, and so people just started moving out and this guy named James Kane started buying up everything in the town and, he reopened the standard mill to former employees. And once he reopened, they, they started making a profit of in the hundreds of thousands, but still a far cry from the millions they were making. 
And even though this started increasing the town's profits, it still wasn't enough to stop the decline. And by the by 1917, the Bodie Railway had been abandoned and its tracks were scrapped. And finally, in 1942, the last mine closed. And the, the reason that it was closed was actually due to uh, uh, order by the War Production Board. And the order, it was L208 was the official order, but uh, it was basically called on all non-essential mines in the United States to close down. And then after the war ended, mining never resumed because there had already been a steep decline. And so just to give you an idea, like I was saying, in the in the late 1800s, they had got around up to around 6,000 people. And by 1940, when this mine was officially closed, there were only 90 people that were living there. Wow. Yeah. And even in the 40s, even though there was still some production going on, most of the town was a ghost town at that point. And then in 1943, there were three people left. And they were basically the people that were left there were uh, just caretakers who were hired to protect and maintain the buildings that were left behind. I wonder what drives those last three or two people out of something that eventually becomes a ghost town. I mean, you got to think with over 2000 buildings there, how fucking Mm -hmm. creepy would it be living there? Right. Well, a lot of the buildings have since been torn down Uh, right now. There's, it's it's an officially recognized state park though in California, and that was officially recognized in 1961 as a national historic landmark. Wow. And at that point, there were 170 buildings that were remaining, but now there's only 110 Whoa. buildings that are still standing. But one of the once operational gold mines are still there, so you can go and visit that and. People can go and walk the streets and see all the, the buildings. All the interiors remain as they were when people left. And so there's still some things on the shelves, like in the in the general store from the 1940s. That's awesome. I love when yeah. they find places and keep it like that, just little frozen in time areas. Yeah. And there's, there's um, as you're going through, you can still find small shards of dishes or nails or some old bottles occasionally. And there's rules up saying you, you're not allowed to take anything from the park. And there's said to be a, a curse. And and this in this town there there is actually tales of ghosts and also a, a curse attached to it. Um, but one of the ghosts is said to have lived at um well I, ghosts don't live. It dwells at the old J.S. Kane house, which is on the corner of Green and Park Streets, if anyone is ever interested in going to visit. But this was after J.S. Kane left, it, w- it became the residence of the caretaker's family. And it's supposed to be haunted by the specter of a Chinese woman who is assumed to be a maid that worked for J.S. Kane. And she's appeared to children who were visiting on the second floor. But there's a park ranger who uh, they actually stayed there once. And his wife reported a presence that she saw. And uh, I'll, I'll 
quote her what she said. She said, I was laying in bed with my husband in the lower bedroom, and I felt a pressure on me, as though someone was on top of me. I began fighting, and I fought so hard I ended up on the floor. It really frightened me. Another ranger who had lived there, Gary Walters, had the same experience in the same room, except that he saw the door open and felt a presence and a kind of suffocation. So hearing that, though, what what does that remind you of? Almost every haunting. <laughs> well, do you, do you remember the um, that documentary, The Nightmare? Oh, yeah, that's right. About sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. And how it's sometimes associated with having pressure on you and occasionally with shadow people as well. Now, does that offer some type of explanation with you? Because, I mean, for me, I got to be honest, when we talk about ghosts and uh, like when we first started doing the show, I had a difference of opinion on ghosts and stuff like that. And when you talked about ghosts, you always talk about maybe time loops, maybe not the remnants of the spirits of humans that have gone by. Don't you think a place that's been frozen in time is prone to that? Like it almost has to have ghosts. Well, I think with those type, like the time loop type ones, that they are unable to interact with with people. It's like we're seeing a little sliver out of the past, and their souls aren't still there. It's just the events being repeated. Like we're we're able to peer through time, mm-hmm. and I don't think that if I don't think that if you're if you're seeing a time loop type haunting or an unintelligent haunting, we'll, we'll say that it's going to come in the room and suffocate you. But all of these effects are known to occur when you're in that area between waking and sleeping. And when most people experience sleep paralysis, they'll experience, like I, I told you the last time I had, I experienced sleep paralysis, I felt a pressure on me. And I was laying on my side and it felt like something was pinning me down from the side. And then I came out of it and I was fine. And that's what this sounds like. And my buddy Joe Nickel actually can back me up on this. He he wrote an article about it. And he also claims that this is most likely a result of sleep paralysis. Do you think it's strange that that other ranger reported the same type of experience though um not exactly just because if if this was a residence for caretakers and a place that people park rangers or caretakers or whatever would stay at and sleep paralysis occurs i think the average is one out of every three people experiences sleep paralysis so if this is the bedroom where people stay in and both people experienced sleep paralysis i don't think that's really all that strange what is strange is the fact that gary walters said that he felt or he saw the door open um the but feeling a presence and feeling like you're being suffocated that seems to go along with the sleep paralysis thing that's true hearing the term feeling a presence or sensing a presence it usually covers a broad spectrum but uh, most of the time i mean that's like the best way somebody can put it right yeah and if and if anyone that's listening has ever had an experience like that um not not necessarily just sleep paralysis but any type type of ghost or uh spectral 
type thing going on, a lot of time you can feel it before it happens. And I, I, you know, that's, that's typically been my experience with it. And I know a lot of other people that experience things will also claim to feel it as well. And, And I don't think it's a psychic thing. It's not like I'm like some medium, like, Oh, I feel the presence of spirits, but you do get this kind of strange feeling or like this, this, uh, irrational fear that just comes over you out of nowhere yeah the fear trigger we've talked about a lot of times yeah it's and and it's not you know i'm i'm (laughs) i try to be skeptical and and i've had experiences before i've talked about them on the show and you know i i can't explain what they were i don't know what they were but i don't believe that it was a ghost i don't believe that it was someone who just didn't pass on and is lingering around. But I have experienced it while I've been awake and it it wasn't a dream. It wasn't sleep paralysis. I actually experienced something and before it happened, I felt it. And so I think feeling a presence can be indicative of that sort of thing. But the sleep paralysis thing also had a lot of people report feeling a presence. But I mean, if you're looking at it that way with the sleep paralysis, that could be that could be something else completely. You know, maybe we just don't understand what the sleep paralysis thing is. And maybe some of us, when we enter that state, we're able to see things that are kind of in between worlds. And maybe they're really there. Maybe they're an actual part of reality, just not our reality. And we're able to you know, access them when our brain is, is half on half up. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but either way, what she's describing sounds like sleep paralysis to me. Do you think a certain atmosphere or building can encourage sleep paralysis? No, I don't. I'm just curious if it's, I don't think like sleep apnea, like you have to sit up to stop that from happening. I oh, I, I mean, I've only experienced sleep paralysis twice, so I don't, and one time I was sleeping on my couch, one time I was sleeping in my bed. So I don't, you know, the the second time when I was in my bed was way more intense and it was scary. The first time I experienced it and I was like, oh, I'm in sleep paralysis now. Wow. And I kind of, I, I was more curious about it because my brother had always told me about it. And when it finally happened, I was just curious about it and and it only lasted for a little bit the second time i was scared as fuck though because it felt like i was being pinned down by a giant praying mantis and it was so scary (laughs) yeah that has to be scary i've I've experienced almost every type of sleep disorder i don't think i've experienced anything uh quite similar or not uh to that to a harsher degree enough to call it sleep paralysis but I can only imagine how terrifying that is. I've had situations where I couldn't wake up from a dream where I wanted to, and I was trying to get up to wake myself up, and that and that wasn't working. But I've never been laying there and opened my eyes and went like, "Oh, I can't move anything." You know, not for well. More than a lot a of times, you you're you don't even open your eyes, like you're awake and your eyes are still closed. But that was a, the weirdest part, and that that the second time, my eyes were closed, but I could see. Like I could see my girlfriend sleeping next to me. Whoa. What does that but, mean? But my eyes were closed. I don't know. Do you think you were projecting a little bit? Were you outside of your body maybe? Maybe. Maybe that's what the sleep paralysis is. You can't get back in your body. 
So you're kind of half in, half out. Oh wow. Maybe I th- I hadn't considered that, but that that could be what was going on. I don't know. Yeah, partial waking during reentry or something like that. Yeah, and your body's left outside, or your your astral body, your spirit body, whatever is is outside your physical body, and that's why your physical body can't do shit. You're just kind of like in and out, so you can think and and realize that your body can't move, but there's nothing you can do about it because you're not fully back. <laughs> Wow, that's, yeah, that's even more terrifying than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, that house isn't the only place in, in Bodhi that has rumors of ghosty activity. And there's, there's one called the DeChambeau house. And in this house, there's said to be uh, a woman that'll peer from the upstairs window out into the street. And then there's another place called the Mendocini House where children's laughter is heard as you're going through it. Wow, so this ghost sounds nice and ghosty. That's what it sounds like. Doing some reading, it was almost hard to come across an actual ghost town that had a substantial amount of ghost reports. Yeah, that's what I was pleased about this one. Like it was, even though it's your your classic Western ghost town, there's there's actual ghost reporting going on yeah there's one man who went there there's there's a cemetery on the premises as well and he was visiting the cemetery and uh his he he was with his daughter and he noticed his daughter was giggling and, and seemed to be playing with somebody but there was nobody there and there's this um legend of the angel of bodhi who was a child that was killed when she was accidentally hit in the head by a miner's pick. Whoa, how does that happen? I, I don't know. But she was the daughter. Her name was Evelyn, and she was a three-year-old daughter. She died in 1897, and her grave is still there. And there's an angel on her grave, so that's why she became known as the Angel of Bodhi. Wow. That's some pretty strong stuff. Yeah, but... The, there's also said to be a curse in addition to ghosts. And the, as, as I mentioned to the, um, the law says that you can't take anything from there. And so you'll, the gift shop puts all these letters up that people send in that have taken things. And, uh, let's see if I can find one of them. So, well, before I, I, read a, a couple of these um there's sayings that the ghost or the curse of bodhi dates back to the early 1920s but when you look at what the curse was he was talking the the person who was referencing this curse was saying that a curse had befallen on bodhi which was the uh mines closing up and and people leaving town and all that It had nothing to do with supernatural things. But then in 1992, this kind of picked up and people that had taken things started saying that they were experiencing bad luck and and that they felt like they had been cursed. And uh, so one letter says, I am sorry. One year ago, around the 4th of July, I was visiting the ghost town. I'd been there many times before, but had always followed the regulations about collecting. This trip was different. I collected I collected some items here and there and brought them home. 
I was a visitor again this year, and while I was in the museum, I read the letters of the others who had collected things and had bad luck. I started to think about the car accident, the loss of my job, my continuing illness, and other bad things that have haunted me for the past year since my visit and violation. I am generally not superstitious, but please find and close the collectibles. I just couldn't live without and ask the spirits to see my regret. Wow. It's it's weird, man. Like there, There's a lot of people that have taken – like some people just took something like a nail, an old nail that they found on the ground and began experiencing bad luck. Yeah, we've talked about this place, I believe, when we talked about curses years ago. And I remember you mentioning people would actually send shit they've taken back, even if it was a rock. Mm-hmm. That's bizarre. I mean, it seems <laughs> seems kind of weird to waste your time to send a rock back unless you really felt you fucking needed to. Yeah, a rock. Is because you think you you pick a rock up off the ground. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Oh, nothing except you're haunted by spirits. <laughs> so if you guys go to the rock bag. Yeah, check the perimeter, the ghostly perimeter of where you can pick up rocks. Even rocks, guys. But then also make sure that it's not like some desert spirit rock or like a fairy rock because then you, you get plagued by a whole different set of things. No shit, guys. Just leave the rocks alone. Let's go with that. Don't touch the rocks, guys. But that's I mean that's basically Bodie in a nutshell. Crazy Wild West mining town to legit ghost town in 1940. And now it's the only people that stay there are caretakers and park rangers. But there are ghosts and there is a curse. I would. Fuck yeah. Still, even though with like the 110 buildings, you watch over this whole abandoned town by yourself. Maybe not by myself, but if it was like me and a partner, fuck yeah. That'd be fucking creepy as shit. No, one. There's, there's no real ghosts there. It's all fucking. It's all hearsay. You'll be saying that until you go to sleep and you wake up with a giant praying mantis on you. Oh god, trying to get it on. You'll no way. They, pressure. they would be. See, the ghosts would, would. Th- they'd be like, "All right, you're cool. You're, you're trying to protect our, our spooky ghost town." I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Just trying to protect you guys, man. Just trying to make sure your buildings don't get torn down. Make sure that Ghostbusters don't come in and try to bust your asses. Well, I came across a mining town that was very interesting because not also is it a ghost town. It's now a deadly town. It's called New New Idria, and it was founded in 1854. And it's right next to one of the most productive mercury mines in the United States of America. I think at one point it was something ridiculous, like 60% of this country's mercury was coming out of this place. Wow, really? Yeah. It was so <laughs> valuable as a mercury mine that during World War I, the government actually sent soldiers there to guard it. But it closed down in 1971. So that's a long-ass time for it to stay open, and they continued to mine all from 1854 to 1971. But when they closed down these mines, they didn't bother to clean anything up. They didn't remove anything. They just sealed the doors of these mines and never returned. The thing was, is that there's about 30 miles of underground tunnels under this town. And there was a super mercury-enriched water that would leak out of this town. And it eventually poisoned every single thing that's there. Um, Even as far away as a local lake, far away from the town, 
it's bright orange because it's filled with so many like mercury orange yeah it's bright orange you can see pictures of it it's insane wow and it's also as corrosive as battery acid the lake itself is yeah holy fuck so you could throw some dead bodies in there if you wanted to get rid of them yep I, I don't know if this place has been ordained as a national park or anything. It's it's still up. It's still there. But I guess there's there's a bacteria that turns the mercury into methylmercury, which affects all the wildlife there. So you can stumble across this weird town, not see the orange lake, and you know hunt something and eat it and die. Does it cause any physical mutation, or is it just toxifying the meat it's just toxifying the meat it, it messes up the fish and uh you know other animals eat the fish i don't know it's not all the rivers are bright orange and shit like that but it's it's pretty much spread everywhere but it's it was just interesting to read because this ghost town will just make its own ghost i mean could you imagine just being out in a wooded area maybe like 60 years ago and coming across this empty ass town and just Staying there a couple of days and dying in your sleep because you turned orange? No, 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 <laughs> thank you. So, what what state is this in? This is in California as well, but it's just another one of these abandoned minor towns. I mean, it's all frozen in time, and it's being from the 1800s. I mean, you can see like the the stages of this town progressing from a minor camp into this little town like like Bodie. So it was the toxicity that forced everybody out rather than the mines running dry? Yeah, it just they closed the mines down and left. All the mining companies left, and the people that lived there just had to deal with this shit creeping out of the ground. 30 miles of underground tunnels underneath the city. So the, 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 the mine was a little bit away, but those, those tunnels reached all the way back into the town. Man. Yeah. That's, and, I mean, fucking pollution of groundwater is no fucking joke. No, this this menthol mercury is one of the country's most hazardous uh, contamination issues. It's it's a real big problem. It'll destroy everything. Yeah, I mean, if it's got the acidity of battery acid, it's yeah. so scary. Yeah, weird. Just not just a ghost town, but literally deadly. It'll kill you if you live there. So this town will turn you into a ghost. Yeah. We we all know about Pripyat and Chernobyl and shit like that, where it's all radioactive still, but that's been that's been discussed in length a million times in a million places. It was just interesting to see this orange town. <laughs> so, uh, do you, what effect does that have on the plant life? Do you know? I didn't read anything about that. They what I came across, they mostly talked about the fish, and you know, like I said, in that orange lake, if it's got the acid levels of battery acid, I don't think there's too many fish swimming around in there. So it must be widespread. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, it must be widespread quite easily. But in the photos that I saw of it, it's got trees. Everything's cool there. But all the living animals around there that any human would want to eat or have anything to do with are just literally poisonous. Man, that's, that really sucks. That entire, I mean, that's kind of like what we're seeing. Well, I shouldn't say that's kind of like what we're seeing in Flint. But the, the shit with the water in Flint, Michigan, the water there is literally fucking orangey brown color i've seen some videos of people turning on their faucets and i don't see how that's yeah how that's it's crazy yeah it's it's bizarre i'm like that's america huh that's <laughs> yeah that's i mean just we talk house? about third world countries where 
they don't have any clean drinking water and and we send people over there to help them dig for mines and everything or not my dig for wells and in our own country we've got people that don't have water that they can drink and they can't get any help and the government's not doing anything they're allowing it to like it's fucked up man that's mind-boggling it was interesting to find this place in California as well. A bit far from me, but I would definitely go visit a ghost town. I don't know about staying the night there, but Yeah. If when I when I finally come out there we gotta go to Bodie. I don't know how close it's it's in the middle of the state, but it's near the, the border with Nevada. Oh that's yeah. Uh, that would be cool, especially because it's a national park like that. I mean Yeah. That has to be cool. Well, I've, I've got another one in keeping with the, the mining theme here. Uh, and this one's in Pennsylvania, Centralia, Pennsylvania. And it's uh, not a complete ghost town. There's still seven people that live there. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's no longer recognized in the United States uh, by the post office. The zip code was discontinued in 2002. And... Uh, in 1992, it was officially condemned by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But the story here, so it started out, it was land purchased from the Native Americans. And they, they were, uh, it was purchased by colonial agents in 1749 for 500 pounds. And in 1770, during the construction of the Reading Road, which stretch from Reading to Fort Augusta, which Fort Augusta doesn't exist anymore. It's now a city called Sunbury. But settlers came in and surveyed and explored the land, and they settled in this area, which is now Centralia. And in 1793, Robert Morris, who was actually, uh, he was kind of a big deal in the Revolutionary War, and he signed the Declaration of Independence, but he was able to acquire one third of the valleys that were in Centralia. But then <laughs> within five years, he declared bankruptcy and he was forced to surrender all of his land to the United States. <laughs> then a, a French sea captain named Stephen Gerard purchased the lands for $30,000, which included 68 tracks east of the land that uh, Morris had purchased. And it was once that once Stephen Gerard purchased this, that he discovered that there was coal that could be mined in the region. So the coal deposits became well known and construction began on a mine railroad in 1854. And then it became a township called the Roaring Creek Township. And eventually it became Centralia. So mining was the major drawing point for the city in Pennsylvania. They, and there, there's still to this day, there's coal, which is part of the problem under underground. And uh, in 1962, there was a fire that started. The way the fire started is not, no one can I shouldn't say no one, but there's there's a lot of contrasting thoughts on what the the origin was. So the first idea is that there was an attempt to clean up the town's landfill 
in May 1962. And they were going to be doing a controlled burn. So this writer, David DeCock, said that um, in, in his theory that this controlled burn had got out of control and it started, it reached the coal mine and oh, no. started the coal mine on fire. And then it started all these underground fires. And another story is that the fire had actually started the day before the controlled burn. And this was as a result of, of a careless trash hauler. And he dumped hot ash or burning coals from coal burners into an open trash pit at the, the landfill. And that's what started the fire. And then the firemen had to come in and fight the fire that had burned out of control. And then thinking that they had finished it, they didn't realize that the fire had hit the mines and was now burning underground. Oh, wow. And then they did the control burn the next day. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The, the thing was that by law, the town was supposed to have fire resistant clay barriers between each layer of the landfill. But the owner of the landfill fell behind schedule and he didn't complete the barrier hmm. and that's what caused these hot coals to burn out of control and hit a vein of coal underneath the the trash pit and started the underground fire but then there was another theory um there there was a coal fire in 1932 from the best colliery and apparently that fire was never properly extinguished and only in 1962 did it finally reach the landfill where everything got out of control? So uh, a coal fire raged for 30 years without anybody noticing? Well, that's it. there's a lot of land underground, <laughs> a lot of coal underground. Hmm. Yeah. But even, even though this, even if you're believing the stories in 1962 that this is where it started, people didn't really start to notice that lived in the city until 1979. And they finally found out when a gas station owner who was also the mayor, John Connington inserted a dipstick into one of his underground tanks to check the fuel level. And when he pulled it out, he said it seemed hot. So he put a thermometer down there and found out that the gas tank itself was 172 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, but nothing was done about it until 1981 and at <laughs> that point it became um it was called to the attention of the state because there was a 12 year old boy named tom domboski who was playing in his backyard when the ground opened up and he fell into a four foot hole or i'm sorry the hole was four feet wide and 150 feet deep and it just opened up under his feet and he fell in and his 14 year old cousin had to get him out of the hole and saved his life. Oh, wow. Thank goodness. But there was a plume of hot steam that was coming up from the hole, and it was tested and found to have lethal levels of carbon monoxide. Wow. And then, so once this was called to the attention of the state, they began to see all this evidence. They saw the carbon monoxide. The ground was crumbling. And... People that lived there were still divided over whether or not 
the fire posed a threat to the town. <laughs> and so there were six community groups. Each one were organized and each one had a different interpretation of the amount of risk that this fire posed to the citizens. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, finally, in 1984, Congress actually put put out $42 million to help citizens move out of Centralia. And most of the residents accepted the buyout offers for their homes and moved to nearby areas. Um, Mount Carmel and Ashland were the, the two most prominent for the, to, to move. And then, like I mentioned, in 1992, the governor finally condemned everything. So it almost and, took him 100 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because it, it took it would have been like 30 years if you're if you're going by the 1962. If you're going by the 1932. Yeah, the 32. Is what I was <laughs> but even after uh, all the buildings were condemned, there were some citizens that banded together to get the action overturned. But they failed to do so. And then in 2002, the post office discontinued their zip code. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then in night or 2009, the governor, Ed Rendell, began formally evacuating the remaining citizens. And I think now there's seven people left. <laughs> they just aren't scared of a coal fire. I guess. Yeah. But the fires are still burning underground. Um, there's a main street that goes through the town that's now at the street itself is all cracked and this but the street is all covered in graffiti now it's it's actually pretty cool to see hmm. because no one drives on the roads anymore so it's just all graffiti from people that go to visit it's really cool i wonder if that's like a accomplishment in the graffiti writer world like oh i tag where the ground can cave in and i can fall into maybe a foot lava hole but there's places where a house used to stand. Like there, there's this one house. Um, I saw, I saw a video from some urban explorer that went there, and all that's left standing of this house is just the front steps of the porch, wow. and then all around it is weeds. You can't even. There's no foundation. It's just the front steps and then weeds. They should make like a summer blockbuster out of this. Yeah, right. Movie, yeah, a movie out of this town, like Brad Pitt's a farmer, and he's the only one saying, "I smell something, y'all. I smell something burning." <laughs> <laughs> smells like a coal fire. And Morgan Freeman will be like, "You smell nothing. You smell nothing. You hear me? We need the." Tarp. I don't know why they're southern. They're in fucking Pennsylvania. It's just but how they're gonna do it. It sounds better that way. Yeah. But this one doesn't have any creepy ghosts or curses other than, you know, the the ground is going to swallow you if you go there, but <laughs> and burn you with hellfire. I thought my town was deadly. Jeez. My town Some was... say there's a portal to hell under the village. <laughs> but the uh, the last remaining house was on a place called Locust Avenue. And that was demolished in September 2007. So right now, I like I mentioned, there's only a few people living there still. But um, in May and July of 2009, there are two residents, John Kamarinsky and John Lakaitis Jr., who were forcefully evicted from from their homes. And 
following the eviction, the remaining residents tried to put another legal effort towards getting the 1992 condemnation reversed, but they they failed again. And in 2010, only five homes were remaining, and state officials tried to vacate the remaining residents so they can demolish what's left. Um, and then in March 2011, a federal judge refused to issue an injunction that would have stopped the condemnation. So the, it's, the weird thing is that the the council, the city council, still has regular meetings as of as well they did as of 2011. Huh. And it was reported that the town's highest bill came from a power utility at $92 and that the town's budget was still operating in the black. <laughs> so way to go. Yeah. Why are these and people fighting to stay there? I don't know. It's so weird. That is weird. But then the the Commonwealth Court finally declared in February 2012 that the town would not be reopened or set aside on the basis that the purpose for the condemnation no longer exists. Seven people, including the city council president, tried to file a, a lawsuit hmm. trying to get <laughs> still 2012. And um, he was claiming that they no longer needed to condemn the city because the underground fire had moved. And it was no longer under their city. And the air quality was the same as that in Lancaster, which is where the Amish live. Wow. Now it's somebody else's problem. Can we, can we go back home? <laughs> yeah. And finally, in October 2013, the remaining residents settled their lawsuit and they all received $218,000 in compensation for their homes. Oh, wow. That's what they were holding out for? Yeah. Each of them and then they got... They got another one hundred thirty-one thousand to settle additional claims. Fuck that! I would be like, and and they got the right to stay in their homes for the rest of their lives. Oh wow! Yeah, so they made out like fucking bandits. They did. That's what they were holding out for. There, there was a time capsule that was buried there, though, and it was buried after the fire had started in nineteen sixty-six. <laughs> but they uh, they decided to open it early. Because someone had tried to dig it up and steal it in May of uh, 2014. But it wasn't supposed to be open until 2016. But since someone dug it up and tried to steal it, like, fuck it, let's open it. So inside, um, there was 12 inches of water in there. A miner's helmet, a miner's lamp, a chunk of coal, a Bible, some local souvenirs, and a pair of underwear signed by the men of Centralia. Women's underwear. (laughs) <laughs> signed wow. by the men of Centralia. Yeah, and they made it in the sixties. Yeah, oh, they could have put something cooler in there. Yeah, but they didn't. They put a fucking lump of coal because there wasn't enough coal under the fucking streets. Yeah, and a note that said, "We're holding out for the money, fuckos." Well, in '66, they didn't even know the underground fire was a thing, or did they? I don't know, but they're still operating in the black, so they may not have a postal zip code. But they're still making money. That's insane. They got that much money. I would have been like, your town has a budget of like a grand. Fuck you. You guys get $500 each. Get the fuck out of the fire town. Maybe maybe they enjoy living above the hell mouth. Well, the last place that we're going to talk about is in Taiwan. And it's a town called Sanzi. If I mispronounce that, I'm sorry. 
but it was built in 1978. The government had started an archaeological project. They wanted to make a shit ton of futuristic pods for rich cats to use as like summer villas in this this huge area. And they have pictures of them. It's been since demolished, but they have pictures of them. And they, they all look like multicolored UFOs. It's really interesting. They're like on stilts and everything. But by 1980, the government had stopped funding construction to the place. But the real reason why they stopped construction, because you can imagine there's other investors other than the government when it comes to doing a project like this. Uh, there was a lot of weird shit that started to go on. Uh, one of them was construction workers building this city would just start killing themselves for no reason. That's pretty creepy. Yeah, and they, they said that none of these people were uh, suicidal. Anyway, it, it's it's very interesting. The, the, the locals said that the place was cursed, and they, they didn't give much reason why, but there was numerous deaths and accidents that happened during the construction, enough to to have the locals try to get the construction workers to stop. It seemed to be like a very real fear, uh, such a fear that after the, the construction company stopped working on this place, they destroyed all the records they had that had anything to do with this place. So we're not too clear on how many people did commit suicide or died from accidents, but it was literally enough for the construction company hired to do it to pack up and say, fuck this place. I wonder what they dug up. I don't know what they dug up, but the locals say that a nearby pond had a huge dragon ornament that they said would it, this dragon would guard the pond. And in Taiwan, the dragon's a symbol of good luck and safety, but these construction dickheads broke that thing with like the first three days of being there. So all the locals said... Oh, that, shit. Yeah, the locals said that had, that had a lot to do with it, that they messed up by doing that. And they told them bad shit was going to happen. But they tore everything down in 2010. But it was a... I mean, the area was restricted. You couldn't go there. And it's not like a huge city. It's just like some mountainsides that have these weird pods on them. But it's covered with graffiti. And like you had mentioned with the other place, it, it looks really interesting. You can see these people get to these weird places because nobody's there to stop them. But it, that place was just seemed to have been cursed and nobody can go back there. There was, I think, in 2011, some beer guru from Taiwan had, had dumped a bunch of money into rebuilding the place before they turned it down or tore it down. I think not 2011. I'm sorry. It was 2009. And uh, they, they found out that all the buildings they built were like shitty, crappy cement. And they said that if an earthquake happens at all in that area, every single one of them is coming down. So they couldn't do anything with it. And they finally tore it down because too many people were sneaking in there. It became like some weird tourist destination to see this abandoned futuristic city. But yeah, that's that one. I, I, I Like I said, I had a hard time trying to find something with some cool ghost stories, like authentic ghost ghost towns. But to hear about this place having this curse and the locals telling them, you guys got to stop and get out of here. And then... Then people dying and then people killing themselves for no reason was weird. And, and most of the information we have about this place is told by the locals. So, I mean, these are people, it's an interesting perspective, you know, to have these people come in. They weren't like, you know, invaders. They weren't pissed off that they were building this shit there. It would have brought tourists to the area and made everybody fucking money. But these were just people who witnessed this shit happen. Yeah, they came in here, 
They broke the fucking dragon, started fucking killing themselves. Cranes started falling and people started dying. It's a weird story. It is. The the killing, the, the, the suicides are the creepiest thing. Like, why the hell are they all killing themselves? Yeah. And imagine being, you know, a local who lives there, lives near there. Just, like, seeing these guys come into town and eat dinner at the end of shifts and shit. And people start to recognize all the construction workers. And that dude killed himself. What? That guy killed himself a week later. This guy kills himself. It's got to be bizarre. Just dropping off. Yeah, these guys started... They came here, they started building these weird spaceship houses and then started killing themselves i don't care. i don't know what's going on yeah that's so weird the the dragon god was pissed and he's like you will all die yeah by your own hand at that oh creepy yeah i i mean i've never really looked into it but i i mean i i wonder if there's any good ghost towns near me there's got to be some by you right no no, there's um this place I go camping. It's called Delta Lake, and um, <clears throat> it used to be a city called Delta, and the city ended up flooding, and now it's Delta Lake. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, is, is that city underwater now? I don't know if the city was torn down before it flooded, or what the deal was exactly. But there's there's a history of it right outside the the. Uh, what's now the beach about how this was the city of Delta and the city got flooded. And so I don't know if the houses are still down there. I would imagine even if they were down there, they're probably all destroyed anyway. Cause you know, it's wood underwater. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, but I'm sure there's probably foundations still intact. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It is a cool, and, and and it's a cool camping area too. I I go there almost every year. You campers, it's fun. I was just talking to my kids about going camping, and they're like, "No, not at all. No thanks. I like sleeping in beds." Pussies. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Whatcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, iTunes, and YouTube. Enjoy the podcast. Get yourself a Whatcast t-shirt or a sticker pack. Who was that dude on that one episode? Try the links in Homie's page. All this and more can be found at www.thewhatcasters.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.